0: Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for those who have used, will be using, or are thinking about using donor conception to build their family. I'm your host, Lisa Schumann. As a researcher, therapist, and an expert in donor conception, I'm passionate about helping people on their donor conception journey. After decades of work in the field, working at some of the best fertility clinics in the world, Through my group, the Center for Family Building, and running workshops for donor-conceived children, I've experienced so much and have seen thousands of donor-conceived children and families. In this podcast, my guests and I will share the tools and the truths that you need to have a better path to parenthood or help you tackle tough parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we talk about it. And today I welcome Danny Roberts. She's a blogger, advocate, social media influencer, and she used donor eggs to build her family. Today she's going to share her story with you and provide insight on some of the things that she learned as a patient and a parent and a supporter of others on their path to parenthood. Welcome, Danny. Thanks so much for coming.
1: Hi, I'm really happy to be here.
0: So, Danny, why don't we start with um, telling me a little bit about your journey, how you started down the donor conception road and what made you decide to consider using donor conception
1: well um it feels like a million years ago now but uh my husband and i we started to make our family build our family back pretty much immediately after we got married and we were young and healthy and you know making babies should have been a you know a no-brainer um, and time time ticked on. Um, I wasn't getting pregnant and we did initial testing and everything still looked good. We couldn't figure out what was wrong between the two of us. Um, we started with early intervention through our fertility clinic like IUIs and I think I did five rounds of medicated IUIs. I never got pregnant. Um, and then we moved on to IVF and once again, I just thought, you know, IVF will, it, IVF will do it. I'll we'll, we'll have a baby within a year and within a couple months. And fast forward, I did three rounds of IVF with my own eggs. And um, with e- each retrieval, I never got a embryo to freeze or transfer. So all of my embryos were always arresting uh, before day five. I think even before day three. And what my clinic was, was able to... Um, tell me was that the way they were arresting and at the at the time that they seemed to be arresting when sperm met, met egg, it was pointing to an egg issue. Um, and I tried everything on my end that I could possibly do as a young and otherwise healthy person. I, I worked on my diet, I eliminated all of the things that you try to eliminate like caffeine and alcohol. Um, I you know I, I, I read all the books about how to have like a healthy egg. Uh, diet and um, I, I went to, into my third and final egg retrieval and retrieved the most follicles that I had ever retrieved. It was like something like 18 or I, w- I was typically a low responder. so for me 18 was amazing. And to to rule out a sperm issue with those 18 eggs, we fertilized half with my husband's sperm and half with a sperm donor. So we actually went down that path first to like we we already we already thought about donor conception at that point and we thought about using sperm donation to make it happen and what happened was all 18 embryos they all for fertil- all my eggs fertilized with with half of my husband's and half of the the sperm donor and all 18 arrested. So that was sort of like our closure round to this is definitely an egg issue. And I was able to say I had done everything I could. Trying to use my own eggs, I kind of felt more at peace with being able to move on, thinking that egg donation was going to be the next step. And that was what we did. We we partnered with our fertility clinic and a frozen egg bank. I'm from Canada, so we used a frozen egg bank from the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't work. Our first round. Um, I I initially picked. A, a first donor and had I, I got my frozen eggs and uh, fertilized with with my husband I got one healthy embryo transferred it and I, I didn't end up getting pregnant and then that was crushing but we we went back to the drawing board picked a new donor and this time I really felt when we picked our second egg donor that it felt more right more perfect like I had a gut instinct that it was going to work and we got um, we got five embryos from that donor, and we transferred the first one fresh, and it was my uh, my son Nathan, who was born nine months later. And we froze four for future use. And I'll fast forward the clock a lot here. My son is now almost four years old. Wow! And yeah, and uh, and then uh, a couple years later, we transferred. Uh, my daughter. She wasn't a. She, she wasn't a first. A first transfer, first baby. I. I actually transferred two embryos before her from our frozen batch, and I miscarried both. Oh Yeah, and then our our third transfer from that batch of uh, embryos. So Nathan's full genetic sibling is my daughter Joanna, who was born nine months ago. So I have a son wow. and a daughter from the same donor.
0: Oh my goodness! Yep. Wow! What a story! Yep. Oh my goodness.
1: In a nutshell, that's my story.
0: <laughs> so, I have so many questions to ask you, but I guess, you know, what people are very often so curious about just to start is how did you first say to yourself, I've got to wrap my mind around this? This fertility treatment is not working for me. And it looks like all signs are pointing towards using a donor, and I really need to consider this. How did you get to a place where you said, okay, I'm going to do this?
1: Well, initially, egg donation and, and using a, a donor egg for IVF was a completely foreign concept to me. I'd never heard of it. Maybe I was very naive, but I was 20, I think I was 29, 28, 29 when we first heard that donor eggs was going to be a, an option for us or, or yeah. It, yeah, at least it was on the radar. And I just thought, not me. Like, there's no way I'm young, I'm healthy. My, my family doesn't deal with infertility. Mm. I was in total. Um, and then when it became aware, that was what, that was, you know, probably the only option I was going to have for me to be able to carry. Um, I, I definitely had, you know, feelings of grief and, um, I, I was devastated. I I thought that that was, you know, maybe it would be better off not to have kids at all. But as I sat with it, and thought about that option, I I knew that no matter what, I wanted to be a mother, I wanted to be a mom, by any means possible. And before I was ready to put another option on the table, like adoption, or, or, you know, other means of building a family, I thought about, how important is it to me to carry a baby and to be pregnant and to give birth and to try breastfeeding and all of those things I desperately, desperately wanted to experience. So the that made um, using an egg donor just all the more like something that I truly could consider. And um, we w- attended counseling with a counselor who specialized like yourself in in donor conception. And by the end of that conversation, I realized that it was 100% what I wanted to do. I wanted to give myself every opportunity to be able to carry and and that genetics was just like one doesn't necessarily have to be part of motherhood. It wasn't going to be a part of my motherhood experience, but that wasn't going to lessen the overall experience. And the more I I thought about it, I gave it I gave it a month or two to think about. And by the end of that time period, I was ready to pull the trigger and give it a shot.
0: So do you feel like all of these elements like wanting to be a mom, wanting to breastfeed, wanting to carry, wanting to deliver all of those things, knowing that they're so important to you started to kind of outweigh this idea of, well, I can, you know, just have a genetically related child or nothing that you you felt like at least I could have all these other things. And that was became good enough for you.
1: Definitely. And, and it wasn't just that it, it, it was, it was that it was like the physical part for me, like, because I wanted, I thought to myself, if I'm not genetically related to my child, I'll be able to say, you know, like you were in mommy's tummy and um, and, you know, like I gave birth to you. But the other part of it, of course, was I desperately wanted to mother my husband's children and um, to be able to look mm. at our kids and say that they're a piece of him and they came from me that outweighed the genetic loss on my side. For sure. And and this was this was all, you know, like, in theory, before I had had my children, once I became pregnant, and then especially once I delivered my my first child, once I had had my son, the feelings and and the fears that I'd had, that I might somehow feel like I'm missing out on the on the genetic factor, were just eliminated, like it, it just became such a non issue for me. That I in every way feel like my my both my children's mother.
0: Wonderful, that's wonderful. And you kept on going. I mean, you didn't have an easy road. You continued to, even though you had cycles that were unsuccessful. You said, you know, I really want to be a mom, and I'm just going to keep going. It's tremendous.
1: Yeah, I we really. I had always envisioned giving my son a sibling because I knew I had those four remaining frozen embryos, and I. I knew I, I was going to, I, it was, it was important to me to, for him to feel like it wasn't genetically related to me, that he was a hundred percent genetically related to a sibling. And I know everybody doesn't have that opportunity to be able to give their kids that, especially mm-hmm. if you use donor conception. But because I had the frozen embryo, I, it, it was important to me to try and we transferred one And then another one, and it was very, very difficult to to think that while it worked the first time, it should work a second time, Um, and then to to have those two losses that really, like, I I really faced considering that I was only going to have one child, but I I I tried a third and third time lucky, and I now have I have a daughter.
0: Well, good for you. That's incredible. Yeah, a lot of stamina. It's wonderful. What a nice story. It's great. So. Danny, what made you decide, you know, I want to share my story with the world? Because not everybody does, right? Not everybody's so public about it. How did you get to that where you said, okay, you know, I feel comfortable sharing this?
1: I just, um, I when I was headed into donor conception and and using donor eggs, like I said, like I had never heard of it and it was almost like a bizarre concept to me that I could carry a baby that wasn't genetically related to me I mean like I knew about i, I obviously knew about people that had used sperm donors, but for some reason the the egg aspect of it was just seemed like science fiction to me and I think that that's as Uh, you know, at least when I was growing up and when I was a young woman, this aspect of infertility wasn't really talked about much and Mm -hmm. definitely not, you know, put on display uh, of, or not, you know, shown what it can look like. So for me, I just wanted to, to normalize what a family can look like. And I think my family, you know, is one of like the most normal looking families out there. (laughs) And uh, I, I just love being able to, almost proudly like to tell people that our road to parenthood my husband and I was definitely not what anyone would cons- would consider normal but we have the most beautiful family that we had ever dreamed of and more so i i i love being able to show people what that looks like especially for the women who like me are are faced with the concept of donor conception and are terrified and you know, think it sounds bizarre and are wondering if they can possibly hack it. I was once in their shoes. So I just, I, I'm here to show people that this is what it can look like in the post donor conception world.
0: Well, that's very generous of you to do that, Danny. It's really, I'm sure you help so many people. What do you see are, you know, some of the biggest questions that you get asked over and over again?
1: The women who are, who are newly diagnosed with you know whatever th- their their infertility diagnosis is and if it's an egg factor when they learn that they're not going to be able to be genetically related to their children the the initial one is just oh my god am i going to bond like how wh- what if the baby mm-hmm. comes and bond with the baby because i somehow feel it in my gut or they feel it that we aren't genetically related and that was you know like that was a, a kind of a rational fear that i i had in the beginning and what I usually tell people is just that the unknown is scary. Like, and, and and for any first-time mother, it's not just mothers to children who are donor egg-conceived that think that and even feel that when their baby is born. All new mothers, when they meet their baby, sometimes the bond is not instant, you know? Sometimes they're a new little human that you need to know um, in, in my Yeah. In my own point of view, in my own perspective, when my son was born, I, like I said, like the genetic factor, not even on the table. I I, I felt an instant bond with both of my children. Actually, to be to be totally fair, I instantly bonded with my son. When my daughter was born, it took me a a little bit longer sort of to get to know her. And it was it's all again, it had nothing to do with the donor conception aspect. It was just that I knew my son so well that when I was past this new newborn baby, I kept expecting every, you know, moment of the experience to be identical to my first child. It's all so different that I felt this newness, this, this sort of getting to know you factor with my daughter. That I didn't initially feel with my son. And that just solidified for me that this, this is something that happens, can happen to a, any woman. And that's what I tell prospective intended parents who out to me and worry about a bond you will bond eventually
0: yes and you know I think what you point out is so important that there's so many elements right there's the temperament of the baby and does that jive with your temperament it's the birth order it's what your pregnancy was like or not like I have adopted children and my bond with my son was like instant and my second child was easier but not as easy as him, and my first one was the most difficult. So, to, to bond <laughs> with, so you just never know, right? And how you're going to react, or how your temperament is going to, you know, coalesce with theirs. So, um, you know, it's really not necessarily just about. Having that genetic tie when the baby comes out of, as we all know, people have postpartum depression, sometimes feel aggression yeah. towards their own children, which is just biochemical and can happen to anybody. I think it's great that you're dispelling that myth for people.
1: Yeah. I, I even had uh, postpartum depression with my son and and it had, my bond with him was the one thing that was solid. Like I, <laughs> emotions were haywire every other aspect of, of the postpartum period, but I was loved and adored and felt like a connection to my son.
0: So you feel like that's really the biggest question that you get. Um, what other kinds of questions do you get?
1: I get a, a lot of people really worry and really fixate on um, resemblance. Like I get people worrying about what's going to happen if my baby doesn't look like me before they've had their baby. Mm-hmm. And then I get once in a while parents uh, raising, you know, young children that they've had from an egg donor it's it's still like a new a new um, parenting is still new for them they're they're not used to getting the comments from people from you know when people see a new baby oh my god like she she looks just like dad or she looks just like you and they struggle with how to respond to those questions and how to take comments like that and if they should respond if they should say anything or for me, I think a lot of people worry that if they say nothing, then they'll be disingenuous about the baby's genetics. So, like, it, for example, my kids look like me. And um, I get a lot of comments about they have my eyes or my daughter, who is only nine years old, but she has sort of reddish hair. And wow. it's it's almost identical, which is it's wow. crazy. But uh, pe- people... And strangers love to comment on it, and um, I, the women who follow me, are always really curious how I'll handle a comment like that because when it's someone who doesn't know me, I typically say nothing or right. or I, I I'll, agree. I'll just agree with them and be like, yeah, like she her hair does look similar to mine, um, and will worry like to to not dig into. Well, actually, she's donor conceived is not genuine and lying and it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and what I usually just is that if, it, if it's someone who does know me and either if they're familiar with our story or if I haven't shared it yet, I really pretty comfortable to say, uh, you know, actually she is, she is from an egg donor and maybe her red hair from that side of the family, or maybe she gets a little bit of it from her dad. And then I, I, I'm Into sharing at that point, but if it is a stranger and it's someone I'm never going to see again, um, I think it's completely fine to just, you know, saying nothing is always Mm -hmm. an option.
0: Yeah, I think that's so great that that you're pointing that out because it's so important to understand there is a difference between privacy and secrecy. Right, we're not just because we don't want to share every detail of our life with everybody in the world doesn't mean that we're ashamed. Right, which is. More connected to secrecy, we want we are entitled to have our privacy.
1: Yeah, yeah. People really wonder where the line is, and and I think that you have to make it for yourself in a way. Like, you, there's no hard fast rules for who you tell and who you don't tell, and how much you say or how little. It, it's it's eventually comes down to your comfort level, and also at what age your children are with you and potentially yep. listening, and and. and If you answer a question a certain way, maybe later on, bring it up with your child and say, "Well, this is why mommy said this," or then open up the dialogue station so that they understand and make sure that they're comfortable with how much you shared or didn't share. And that's so far that hasn't really come up for me. I get Nathan, my son is only he's (laughs) barely four, but he knows that he is. uh, I say he knows he's donor conceived. I, I don't know how much Nathan totally understands, but he does know his story. He knows that mommy and daddy tried really hard to make a baby. They had to get some help, you know, uh, uh, to make a baby, you need an egg from a woman and a sperm from a man and mommy's eggs were broken. So mommy and daddy uh, got extra eggs from a really nice lady called a donor. And he can he can actually recite all that for That's you. Great. like It's in a book that he reads. I'm probably jumping ahead to a no. question that you're going to ask me later. <laughs> he mem- he's memorized his little book and um you can you like if you ask him in in general conversation he would say like my egg came from a donor and he understands that aspect of it but uh, but as far as how much he actually grasps of his eyes you know like the the genetic part I mean kids for the most part at the age of 4 don't understand that you're wise from you know, two genes and one is dominant, you know, recessive. They don't, they don't understand that much. He just understands the bare minimum, but he, I, I it's coming together in his mind. I think that it's, that the basis of it is forming for him. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, he is at the age where there are still concrete thinkers, right? They're still very black and white thinkers. They haven't developed abstract thinking yet. And so they're still parroting the story. Yeah. But that's so great that he knows that because that does become the backdrop of his understanding of himself and does help him consolidate his identity, understanding that information as the, as you know, a baseline to build on as he gets older. Mm-hmm. So that's great that he understands that. Mm-hmm. And different kids, right, have different different experiences. Um, you know, I, I I'm seeing a woman who. You know, she told her her son from the time he was a baby and she was a single mom that she wanted to have a baby so much and she needed a sperm donor and she talked, talked about the sperm donor and then they discovered she needed an egg donor and she talked all about the egg donor and everything about this egg donor. And every time she said, you know, and I had to save some money because it was really expensive. So I went back to the doctor and then I waited and then I saved some more money and then I went back. And now he just walks around at five years old, his playground at school and says, My mom told me I was really expensive. And that's a really, (laughs) so (laughs) the whole donor conception thing is not even part of his uh, dialogue, really. He's just thinking about how expensive he was right now. So, you know, little kids hear different things, but at least they've heard it, right? At least they have heard that story and they know that that's part of how they came into the world and that's so important. So that's great. What do you think if you had to kind of think about things differently or is there something? That you might do differently, Danny, if you had to kind of do it all over again.
1: Well, for me, that's an easy one. Uh, well our our options for for frozen eggs um in Canada, like I said we, we we purchased them from the United States and then they shipped them to us. I wish I had done more research as to what types of egg donation were available. Um, they gave me just like the bare explanation of like, some donors are open and some are closed. And I understood the concept like, okay, at 18, my kids can access or reach out to a donor who's open ID. And if it's closed, then I just sort of accepted that they would never have that option. And I I didn't do enough research into what the life of a dc a donor conceived person like fast forward you know 10 20 years if the curiosity is there to learn more about their genetic parent and can't what does that do to them what what are the what are the complications what are the risks and i just wish that i had known how important it was going to be to at least have that option for my kids to have an open ID donor because our donor was closed. And I remember back in the initial days, I asked our counselor, um, if I find the perfect donor and they are a closed ID, should I stay away from that one and only look at open ID donors? And the advice I was given was to just sort of take that off of the table and pick a donor that felt right for our family. And in the end, that's what I did. And of course our donor is right for the family because I can, I could never wish to change anything about the ch- the children I have. And that's just mm-hmm. unfortunately the way it is that the donor is closed ID. Maybe, maybe one day there will still be options. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident that there will be like one way or another, my kids can do DNA testing or I can do it for them or, you know, look into the uh, donor sibling registry to at least give them that option. But I, if I could change anything, I would have looked for an only an open ID donor.
0: Yeah, it is hard to kind of think ahead when you're in the middle of your fertility treatment and fast forward. So it's so nice that you're sharing this, you know, with the audience and with the audience, you know, um, online so that people kind of can think about those things and take that, that pause and think about, okay, what are the implications for having a donor conceived child and both Will my children be interested in searching? But also, if that donor is open to being found, then they have been counseled about that, and then they will expect it, and then they will, you know, welcome these, you know, little people with open arms and say, you know, available for whatever questions you have, and and that can be, you know, very hard to not knowing, you know, what she was told, how she was counseled, what happened. So. Um, so I, I really appreciate you being so open about that.
1: I wish that like that that part of of counseling should be a part of prepping these intended parents. That was what was completely missing from my counseling session. They focused so much on me and and you know, my husband and how of course they really the fundamentals was you need to like share your child's story from an early the earliest page. Uh, age possible, which of course is the goal and should be the standard, but how DCPs feel as adults should definitely be a part
0: of the, mm-hmm. the training. Absolutely. I'm with you hundred percent. And as you said, hopefully through the donor sibling registry or some other DNA test, you will have that option. More The more yeah. people who speak about it, like you getting out there, Danny is really a gift to so many people out there because now people who watch you, can can you know say to their counselors if their counselors don't bring it up, let's discuss this because mm-hmm. now is the time to do it before I choose mm-hmm. to.
1: I have a very a very thorough and very detailed profile for our donor, and I read it and reread it and reread it, and I I sometimes I'm shocked that she opted to be closed ID because she was just such a generous sounding person and had a child of her own and loved children and wanted more than anything to give children to people who like myself who couldn't have them I find it hard to believe that one day if I were able to find her and I'm I feel confident that I would be that she wouldn't be at least open mm-hmm. to meeting um my my kids so I, I I'm hopeful for I'm very hopeful for their future. If that's something that they want, I, th- I think that they would have opportunities.
0: That's great. And I suspect that she would be, and that would be, I mean, it sounds like she really went into this with bad intentions and that's great. Yeah, yeah. So we are, we are going to need to wind down, Danny. Um, but I would like to have you back at some point if you're interested. And for now, I would love to have you share with the audience how people can reach you how they can find you on instagram or whatever platform you're interested in people you know looking for you
1: um i'm on instagram and facebook My uh my 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 business handle is my first name danny d-a-n-i underscore repsh r-e-p-s-c-h and i'm in both areas under that name and um, i'm available for emails or Or direct messages. I I love talking about donor conception. So that's where you can find me and that's that's where we can
0: chat about. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming. And for all of you, thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to this new podcast. It's really going to be terrific. And we're gonna have more and more great information to share. Review if you can, and certainly you can always find us at familybuilding.net. We're here to serve you and to help you make your journey easier. So thank you. And thanks again, Danny, so much. It's really a pleasure to see you.
1: Thanks, Lisa. I love what you're doing.
0: Bye, everyone.